All right. Okay. So Solaris, what 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 are are in? Oh wait, su- summary first, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, I got a summary for this one. <laughs> yeah, summary. Um, oh no, uh, man. For the first hour or so, okay. nothing fucking happens. And no, then, no, no, uh, no. There, there's oh, no, the no, no, worst. No. The no, the worst news broadcast of all time, or the longest news broadcast of all time. Not worst, but. Just like no, it's how not, was it? It's, it's not a news a broadcast, though. It's a recording. It's a recording. It's, it's a recording. Okay, it was shot like a news broadcast for me. I thought I'm, I'm ready to jump in on Einish for the next detail he gets wrong. I mean, it's gonna happen because I watched the movie at like 4 a.m. I was awake because it's apparently my peak hours of you know attentiveness now. But okay, so the psychologist dude, um, yeah, he's just like on Earth. Then there's, like, a hallucination. They go through a tunnel. Um, Then he arrives at Solaris Station, where, like, actually some interesting stuff happens. But on the station, uh, there's, like, three scientists, of which one committed suicide. And the remaining two are just, like, very, like, unhelpful. They just aren't pleasant people. (laughs) Um, Then he finds the friend who, like, the uh, scientist who committed suicide was his friend. He left him a video message warning him about the station. So then the psychologist goes to bed, and he wakes up and like sees his dead wife hari harry hari yeah yeah hari he sees her and like this is weird because you know she was dead and now she's here um he doesn't know why she's here so at first he like sends her off into space (laughs) i think and then afterwards she shows up again and then this time he's like oh no this is okay so they sleep together and then um yeah then they just kind of like spend time i guess talking about neutrino systems and <laughs> shooting brain waves onto the planet um hari she kind of um becomes more and more human like each time or something then yeah, the uh, he reveals spends, to her real, what uh, so he the rev- longer she sends real the, the more she becomes human yeah making it like the all the more painful when he like um, eventually will be like okay no i can't do this and gets rid of her but uh, then they have the one birthday party. Uh, he one never, of the guys. He, he never intentionally gets rid. He he doesn't get rid of her, not intentionally. Yeah, well, he yeah. does the first time. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, the first time he freaking kills himself in physics non-existent. How he doesn't get burned alive. Yeah, I actually <laughs> yeah. watched that scene with uh, Daniel for the audience. That's my friend <laughs> who I recorded the movie reviews with, and he actually he had a good time watching that. He's an engineer. What, what a horrible fucking design. We'll we'll get to it. But what a yeah, horrible what? fucking design to, <laughs> to launch a rocket inside of the space station, but have the button to launch the rocket inside of the room. I mean, no when we test out nuclear weapons, we do doors. it like in Area 51, when you test out the nuclear weapons, you do it in the basement. So like, you I would say, it, that's like putting the button on the tip of the rocket. <laughs> this is the go button. Click. Okay, now run real fast before the door shuts within a, a second. I can just Pressing picture the, the Apollo 11 with some guy standing at the top. He'd be like, all right, 10 seconds, and then hits the button and then just, like, whips out, like, a wingsuit and just okay, flies guys, away. there is a reason the United States won the space race, I will say. Because <laughs> uh, they the cut corners. When you're, when you're lighting up. Yeah, because the astronauts can light- drink liquid oxygen. <laughs> it's, uh, it's when you're a kid and you're lighting off uh, the, like, firecrackers and shit. And you, your parents are going, okay, now drop it and run, <laughs> you know. And they go, the thing falls over, and you go, oh shit! And they run out and try and set it back up and run out before it goes off again. That, that's what but, it reminds me. Of. Yeah. Well, yeah, okay. If you want to fucking rush yeah, your summary, 
So yeah, they have the birthday party where it's um a very very subtle philosophical argument happening, and um then the dude tells Hari that like you know you are not real, you're not human or whatever. That's when Hari decides to drink liquid oxygen and then like dies but comes back to life. And then, uh. Well, yeah, because she can't die. Yeah, because she can die. No, then, she well, no, she she doesn't die yet. She dies, right? but then like they come back to life. Well, yeah, yeah no, her yeah. tissue, like her tissue, is literally incapable of dying. She just self regenerates. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. because she's just a, a network of neutrinos, as you said. Yeah, she, she she's not made of atoms. Atoms, sorry. So then, yeah, the psychologist goes to bed and like dreams about his mom, but like when she was young. Then he wakes up and his uh, wife Hari is gone. There's like a farewell note. Um, I'm trying to remember like what happens. At yeah, because okay, they, so she, they do bombard the, the to, yeah, they, they do bombard her. the planet with the radiation like they were yeah. planning to, which makes all of her... the planet's like influence on their minds go away. And so he's no, no, that's that's not what happened. That what, that, so, that is what happens. No, they they have the tool that's called the annihilator, and that can destroy the the neutrino beams. No, both of those, both the annihilator and the encephalogram involve bombarding the planet with radiation actually. yeah and, I, yeah the brain I, waves I, of the guy because yeah. i i th- no I, th- I think it's the the annihilators uh, per guest they call it is so the annihilator was then... supposed to just destroy it altogether, whereas the encephalogram would just send it like it was a hunch where they send those radiation waves to the planet to make it like reverse what it is doing to them it's it's scientific bullshit essentially. Yeah, bullshit. yeah, yeah. So, okay. So for those, okay. So I'm looking at Wikipedia because clearly none of us can figure this out. So it's basically they project Kelvin's brainwaves into Solaris, into the ocean, and then that causes the visitors to stop coming, but also causes islands to appear in the ocean. Yeah, and then that. Oh, then from here, that's when the psychologist he's like, you know, should I return to Earth or should I go to Solaris? And then. In the end, it's revealed that he stayed on Solaris, and he sees his dad, no. yeah, I think. His, his dad is at their um, no, no, ha- house, which is on an island in the Solaris Ocean. Yeah, no, it's... So the point of that is that since they beam down his brainwaves, there's a copy of him that's down yep. there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's not he visited the the planet's surface. It's like, well, I'll I mean, it's, it's here, a little bro. more ambiguous than that. He didn't visit the planet's surface, but the question, like... It's supposed to be, like, not fully understood, where it's, like, maybe it's just, like, a representation of what he's going through in his mind. Maybe he just projected his, uh, like, brainwaves onto Solaris, so he literally made a copy of his home, which he values so dearly, on the planet's surface. Like, it's 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 somewhere in between. Yeah, and it's fair to point out that this is a Tarkovsky movie, and so it is not going to be very straightforward. <laughs> yep. None of his yeah. works are. I mean, I will admit yeah. the science in this one is particularly bullshit, but honestly, <laughs> I roll with it. I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, like shooting brainwaves at a planet to stop hallucinations. That's kind of how it goes. Yeah. I mean, I will be honest. I was never bothered by how unrealistic the science was. To me, this didn't, to me, unlike 2001, this didn't feel like an aggressively realistic film in the way that one no, did. No, it is not. It doesn't attempt to be either. Yeah, so I I yeah. never really had a problem with that. I felt like the world felt pretty well fleshed out for what it was supposed to be. The special effects could have been better, but all in all, like 
I feel like the science that they were using matched pretty well with the world that they had established. Uh, yeah, I think it it, it reached be, a bit far this, at moments. It's I the thought. science fantasy, I'll call it. Where it was enough it, to break it. Yeah, it, it, doesn't it doesn't need to be a hundred percent, but it yeah, you know. Sorry. It well, since the science isn't the point, it's they're allowed to get away with their shit. So you know, their pseudoscience bullshit, but you know. But yeah, should we uh, dive into like our thoughts? Yep. I guess? Yeah, sure. Um. All right. I guess I'll start on this one. Um, I liked this movie. I liked it less than 2001. I didn't really love it, but I think it is like very well made. Obviously, Tarkovsky knows how to make a good movie, and I think like the direction's great. the The production could have been better. Um, I can't really speak for the script, but at least like the English translation through the subtitles. I didn't think this. The script kind of juggled between either being really good and then just kind of bad, in my opinion, or not good. And I will say it is a pretty... I'm, I'm sorry for butting in. It's just, like, specifically to clarify your situation. The the English sub, as I was watching the film, it was actually, like, very on point as to what the characters were actually saying. However, in many cases, it lost, like, the, the flavor of the language when they were using like just common phrases or or comparisons or stuff that's like just not present in English. Mm-hmm. But other than that, at least they, it was never like some some GDA San Andreas fired it translation. <laughs> yeah. yeah, over yeah overall, I thought the script like for the most part was pretty good, but then there were just moments where I'm like, okay, yeah, very very subtle, nice. Um, but yeah, overall, I liked it. Okay, uh, I can go. Um, I liked it very well. Um, well, I liked it after he got to the space station. Before <laughs> that, I I literally texted about twenty minutes in. I I texted you guys going. Uh, did did Stanley Kubrick and Andrei Tarkovsky have a uh, a competition to see who could make the most long? drawn out boring movie where they go i can beat you (laughs) um i can make one even worse uh but once he gets to space station it picks up a lot gets much more interesting and introspective uh at which point i like it i like it a lot less than uh 2001 but i also think they're made to accomplish so drastically different things that comparing them is almost unfair uh, All right. Oh, okay. If you want to take it, you can. Yeah, I suppose I can go. Um, surprise, surprise! I also love this movie. Um, big shock, I know. Uh, I really do like Solaris quite a lot. I just love Tarkovsky and Kubrick are easily two of my favorite filmmakers. Um, I really love the uh, the beef that Tarkovsky had. We'll get into this later. That Tarkovsky more or less kind of made Solaris um, partially for money because he was not doing well financially, but also because he just really hated 2001 A Space Odyssey and thought it was a giant load of crap. Um, (laughs) And so I like the comparisons between the two. Um, I think Solaris stands very well as a film on its own. Um, I'm probably going to be the only person in this conversation who actually really does like the stuff before he gets to the space station almost as much, if not just as much, as the stuff that happens on the station itself. 
yes, it's all very, um, even more so than 2001, it is very long and slow and drawn out, but it does help set an atmosphere for going forward. And it does, the openness of it does really help um, compare between the claustrophobic set of this ship itself. Um, but overall, I really like the film. And I do think it's one of the greater sci-fi works and does belong on list of greatest sci-fi films of all time. Yeah. Um, well, okay. okay, so first I will say that Andrew <laughs> oh, will not right, be yeah. the only person today who appreciates the before the space station part of the film. I think it's really well done, even though it is slow. Like, I'm not going to be bullshitting anybody. Um, second of all, I will then proceed to slightly take a shit on the Andrew's intro statement because I did some digging and I never actually found any proof that Solaris was made as a response per se to 2001 A Space Odyssey and it doesn't seem to me like it actually was. What is recorded though is um, Tarkovsky didn't like 2001 A Space Odyssey and that that is pretty much the end of it. Like yes, the, the space race was going on at the time but I don't think it's it's fair to say that Solaris and 2001 are supposed to be a movies that compete with each other. I think at most I will be able to say that Tarkovsky was influenced by some imagery and maybe some ideas that were present in 2001, but the way the imagery is used, the purposes of using that imagery are very different. The manner in which Tarkovsky tries to answer the questions he asks in the movie are drastically different. And the movies are really only similar in the way that they're like lawn philosophical sci-fi that were shot at around the same time and probably one slightly influenced the other. That's that's it. Yeah, well, I mean, I I I I agree that uh there I I think that uh, uh Solaris definitely has more of a kind of uh brutalist feel. Uh, I'll call it, um, but I I don't think really, yeah. Like you you give credit to I think there's like ideas of space, Odyssey that uh, that Tarkovsky kind of took and implemented in in Solaris. Yeah, I don't think there's really even much of that. Like watching the movie, I, I was sitting there watching and going, now why are they relating these two? <laughs> no, specifically the the idea that Andrew carried over is it? the one with. Uh... Hal and uh, Hari and only the broad question of it's a sci-fi movie that explores what it really is to be what it really means to be human that's that's the the grand idea and that really is like the only one that was directly taken from 2001 even though I think the sorry I'm one, oh, sorry, one more sorry. sentence go ahead, yeah go ahead. where where 2001 like goes in doesn't go in depth and asks a lot of questions and doesn't really like want to answer them it wants the audience to come up with an answer themselves it just really bothers with asking questions solaris asks like very few questions and goes in depth into all the possible ways of answering them well but i mean it goes i think that i mean they're both philosophical in a way but really it's kubrick goes into 2001 with saying i have the answer the answer is that we're militaristic beings and that everything we touch and create will turn into military uh and then 
Tarkovsky is talking about something else entirely, which is, you know, what is it to be human? What is it to have emotions and thoughts and memories? Like, is it our memories that make us, our, our bodies that make us human? What What is it? Which is also um, a question that is tr- that um, Stanley Kubrick definitely asks by making uh, Hal incredibly human as a character <laughs> and making the human characters who are on the ship with Hal uh, boring, lifeless drones. I, I guess a little bit, like, but that... The difference here is that uh, there it's like it, a question that arises for sure. Uh, give me a sec. Apologies. Um, it's a question that arises, but it's not a question that is like the core of the film. Like for Solaris, that is the film is asking that question. For 2001, it's like, yeah, that's there. But really, it's about this other thing. I, I will agree with you that um, 2001 is definitely like more ambitious for me. I would say even overly ambitious with asking too many questions that the answer that like the, the audience should think about on their own without bothering to really come up with an answer. Whereas Solaris is, is way more focused on the issue that it really wants to talk about. Uh, does anyone else yeah. have something? Yeah, Inus, go ahead because I have a lot to say and I will take up a lot of time. <laughs> I don't have much to say, but I think one reason why people do relate these two is, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but in particular, what Tarkovsky didn't like about this movie was that, no, no, sorry, not this movie. What he didn't like about 2001 was that it wasn't like, it was very emotionless. It was lifeless, like he would say. And that that is true. I think like one thing, like with this movie, it kind of feels like a response because it is a very emotional movie where like there are scenes between like, um, the psychologist and like his wife and stuff like that. Like it is definitely much more emotional and, and like much more trying to see like they're both asking both movies are asking questions about humanity but i think 2001 takes it from a very like removed point of view whereas this one is like we're gonna dig in deep and sort of like you know see this from like a human point of view i guess kind of like make it more emotional which i don't think really works but it's i appreciate that it's a different you know way of going about it so yeah I will say I I did like I did a fair amount of digging on the internet and I didn't I could not find any direct quote or reference to Tarkovsky that like actually made a comparison between the two there really is just that part that he didn't like 2001 for how lifeless it is and like if if there are actually sources and it's very possible that I just didn't find them feel feel free to just tell me that they exist here they are if there's like some article you talked about in like film school that i don't know about or something like that i i I get it but i couldn't find anything (laughs) i can tell you in film school we studied orange is the new black much more than tarkovsky so (laughs) i am sorry as you will i am very sorry to hear that um uh yeah andrew what what were you going to respond with okay so i have a few things so (laughs) the main thing um the main feud between it wasn't really a feud. Um, I just see the compare. I see a lot of similarities between these two movies personally. Um, a big thing is that um, Tarkovsky called Kubrick's films quote phony on many points and quote a lifeless schema with only pretensions to truth. That Tarkovsky's main idea, and you'll see this in The Mirror, you'll see this in Andrei Rublev, you'll see this in Stalker. That Tarkovsky believed the best way to study humanity was not an ambitious. Um, overarching concepts, but through individual people themselves. 
And so here you have the three scientists and the quote-unquote woman as the examination of what humanity is, essentially boiling down the study of what humanity is to the emotions of three very different people, something that personally I think he perfects a lot better in Stalker, where people are very obviously meant to represent a certain vein of thinking. Um, whereas 2001 kind of observes humanity more in a broad scope. Ultimately, 2001 is a film about evolution. It's a film about the dawn of man occurs when a monolith shows the apes how to use tools, which they then turn into weapons. And then the next step of human evolution is the star child at the end of the film. The whole film is about humanity's overall journey, not told through characters, but told through a much colder and more removed sort of objectivity. So that's uh, that's kind of the main thing there. Otherwise, uh, notable things is that this is um, Tarkovsky's only film which he shot in the 2.35 to 1 aspect ratio, um, which is definitely not something that he normally does and also he often kind of spoke out against widescreen aspect ratios if i'm not mistaken so interesting that you would choose to use that here in imitation of 2001 um but yeah there's not a whole lot uniting these two movies i just think it's interesting that they're two films that try to tell the same thing and have very different ways of going about it and personally i think 2001 is more successful just because I don't think that humanity is able to be boiled down to three people because there's so many different variations in humanity. And I think that 2001's way of kind of distancing itself from emotion to give it a more objective stance is the better way to do it if you are going to do it. I also think that Kubrick not answering questions is more or less an admittance on his part that he's not smart enough to answer these questions Whereas I feel like Tarkovsky feels like he has a lot of possible answers and doesn't have the one definite answer, which I also think is incredibly respectable. But yeah, there we go. I will slightly disagree with that. It's it's going to be like a short disagreement. I'm not going to like disagree with everything you said. I specifically disagree with the part about um, the questions asked. Because in my opinion, uh, Tarkovsky, and I don't know the reasons for either decision on either director's part, of course, but I think that Tarkovsky doesn't really attempt to answer all the questions that he's asking because there really is too many to answer in a movie. But the main question of like humanity and like the, the evolution thing with the star baby at the end, he gives a, like a pretty definitive stance on it which is just Stanley Kubrick's average stance in movies, which is in many ways like evolution can be harmful and can be turned into a weapon. And I think that personally, like I saw a lot of that in 2001. Um, however, with Tarkovsky, he doesn't really, like when I say explores questions deeply, I mean, he provides a lot of context that would be needed to answer the question, but he never actually makes the step to, to, to make the question answered. There is no definitive answer in the film still. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I will say too, I think I think if you think they're asking the same question, then you're either completely misunderstanding uh, Tarkovsky or you're completely misunderstanding Kubrick. Um, well, Kubrick isn't asking 
the question about he's not asking the I'm trying to figure out how to phrase it he he's not saying what what is what does it mean to be man he's not asking he's not really even asking a question he's saying he's just kind of investigating man's relation with violence and the idea of you know that anything we touch inherently is is prone to violence you know much in the kubrick way that he does uh, he relates everything to the violence of man in in our like worst tendencies i um, agree there but i also think you're underselling the movie I don't think that 2001 is exploring that aspect of humanity and solely that aspect of humanity. Maybe I think there's a solely. lot of other aspects of humanity that are brought into it. Well, like 2001 is asking a million questions. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, but I don't think... If we're talking about the, the focus of it versus, you know, does it ask a question? Maybe, like... We're, Sure, there is a question of where does the line, where's the line drawn in the sand between uh, between Hal and the uh, inhabitants of the spaceship. There, there is a kind of question there, but that's that's really a very in passing question. Like the the focus, the intent of the film is on that violence. That's why it's the theme that continues throughout the entire movie with you know the the monkeys the obelisk uh hell that all of these things all the tools we have are inherently geared towards violence and warfare and then like they throw in at the end uh it's a question of evolution of we evolved here from apes presumably after coming in contact with the obelisk you know the obelisk is really just a, a uh a metaphor for evolution um that we evolved into man when we gained the ability to use tools for war. In that, uh, our next ne what is our next step of evolution? And uh, at least it seems to me like he's posing the idea of the next step of evolution is uh, fourth dimensional life. You know, life outside of time. Uh, but also like not you know, bound by technology in this not case. Not gonna lie. Yeah. I, I think that the whole like I, I see where he is where Kubrick is going for the whole film but personally I think that after the moment he like goes into that um LSD part of space it just like it pretty much degrades into a beautiful technical film that doesn't really really even know what it wants to say I, I'm not so sure about that see yeah uh, I I, I thought that maybe at first, and then, you know, it's definitely something you have to kind of sit there and go, well, what the fuck is he saying? But especially with how uh, you have this kind of thing where it's almost passing the baton back and forth between the characters, um, or between just uh, Dave, uh, he keeps kind of looking through a, a door and you know he sees an older version of himself and that older version kind of turns around thinking that he saw something there and then goes back to his life and then they see something else that's uh you know uh big and or so, some other older version of himself and then you know so on and so on and so on uh but 
you know, I, I think that that points a, a pretty clear thing to it's like the idea that the human mind doesn't really understand how to process uh, uh, how to process a, a four dimensional space. Yeah, and I'll admit that the and, film, like that Stargate sequence, actually shows that really well too. Like it starts off very mm-hmm. in in very abstract, just lines and whatnot. And then eventually it starts to show in the diamonds and shapes. And then it starts to show the galaxies. And then it ends more or less with just color-tinted versions of things that are on Earth. That the alien force is more or less finding a way to show this to Dave in a way that he can understand. And it's a process to get there. So that's I think that's a big part of what the Stargate sequence does. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think, like, the progression of that, like, over the 15 or so minutes, it's a slow progression, but, like, it's needed for it to, like, you know, be digested. I'm not going to yeah. lie. I'm going to come out with a hot take here. But um, the Stargate sequence is, I, I get what it was trying to say, but where in the book there is an actual explanation given. And I, I personally, I don't like that explanation that much. I think what, it's What's a little... the explanation in the book? Because I, I haven't read the book. Uh, honestly, like... Could somebody, while I'm, while I'm talking right now, could somebody pull it up? Because I don't want to lie about it. I'll do it. It's like about, like, it's connected no, to, like, the Star Andrew. Baby and the, like, the evolution of man and, like, alien races and whatnot. But, like, at, at the end of the day, Stanley Kubrick chose not to go with that interpretation. It still, it could fit that interpretation because we see the same stuff, basically, just less defined. But you could interpret it however you want. And at the end of the day, I I respect y'all's opinions, but I personally do not find a point within that mindset for this drawn out like geometrical orgy of shapes that is the Stargate sequence. It just rubs me off into the way of being pretentious for the sake of being artsy and smart. And I really did not think that it was that necessary to communicate the point. Because really, the movie isn't trying to communicate any one point. Because the the initial idea was to step away from the book and to let the audience define what they take away from the movie themselves. So no, I think that was not necessary. I think that was pretentious. Okay. Oh, God, the ending. I'm just reading this. Um, so, uh, Bowman, or Dave. Dave Bowman is given a, a wide variety of sites from wreckage of ancient civilizations to what appear to be life forms living on the surfaces of binary stars, uh, systems, planets. He is brought to what appears to be a pleasant hotel suite, carefully designed to make him feel at ease, and falls asleep, whereupon he becomes an immortal star child that can live and travel in space. The star child then returns to Earth, where he detonates an orbiting nuclear warhead. What a fucking crock of bullshit. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, and I understand, as I said, I understand why Stanley Kubrick stepped away from that. To a degree, I even, I appreciate the part of the decision where he just decides to step away from that ending I dislike. But I just, I I just don't see a reason as to why something that you haven't even defined yourself has to be so drawn out, specific, and unspecific at the same time. Why you have to focus on, once again, an orgy of geometry for like a solid 15 minutes. Because really, you could, if you really wanted to have that sequence in there, it could last for three minutes, five minutes, seven minutes, and nothing in the movie would really change except for its runtime. I w- okay, uh, just to point out something real quick for the uh, listeners who may not know. 
So Stanley Kubrick wrote 2001 alongside Arthur C. Clarke at the exact same time that Clarke was writing the novel. So Clarke basically wrote the screenplay with Kubrick more or less at the same time he was writing the novel. And so they kind of co-wrote and Kubrick specifically decided not to continue on the nuclear path like the nuclear warhead path because he'd already done it in Dr. Strangelove and Clark decided to make it very obvious in the novel whereas Kubrick made it more ambiguous in the film itself yeah by the way did you guys ever see uh 2010 uh Odyssey I refuse to watch that film it it is horrible we won't <laughs> 2010 it, the year we make contact there's a yeah, quote-unquote sequel uh, <laughs> that's not done by Kubrick but is written by Clark, and it picks up after the Clark ending <laughs> and just assumes that you have read the book. Amazing. So, so they, they made a movie of the sequel book that's based on the ending of the sequel movie, or the first book, but that doesn't have the stuff in the original movie. It, it's, it's pretty funky, <laughs> and it's also terribly made. Um, but yeah, I refuse to watch that. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 yep, um, yep. I think the ambiguity too is probably a big thing that, um, I mean, Tarkovsky's always had a bit of like artistic ambiguity, but I will say that I think Solaris is a much more straightforward film, if you can call it that. I mean, it's not straight. It is. It's not straightforward necessarily but i mean compared with 2001 space odyssey most everything else seems to be pretty straightforward uh and i i I will say um i find solaris to be less effective than 2001 but only slightly and i do think that like the approach it takes it does a very good job at i i would say um i would say that I, I find Solaris to be perhaps a, a slightly more effective, actually. Um, especially with the camera, the movements of the camera are very specifically designed in order to distort your sense of space. Uh, you know, the you have the them constantly breaking the 180 rule, uh, you know, moving characters around when they're off screen to kind of create that very dreamlike uh, sense of things where, you know, logic is kind of broken. Uh, and I, I think, you know, he, he gets you into the mind frame of the characters perhaps even a little bit better than Kubrick. Uh, I think the major failing of the of the world, or of the movie, though, is that Tarkovsky, it feels like, never has a full grasp on his world either. And so, like, it, with Kubrick, you get this very distinct sense that he knows everything about this world. And if you were to ask him, you know, well, what's Taiwan doing in this point in time? You know, he would know, oh yeah, well, Taiwan is developing, you know, their own nuclear war. He'd do whatever, like whatever question you could ask him. It seems like he would know the answer. He's got this very cemented down view. And then Tarkovsky has kind of like, I don't know, there's a, I don't know, like a space station orbiting uh, some planet called Solaris or something that's like... I, I don't water. know if that's a fair assumption completely. Well, uh, I, I think mean, that you... is a very fair assumption. Yeah. And to be honest, that uh, is the reason I actually have the opposite opinion. That is why I personally prefer that aspect of Solaris. Because to me, as I said many times, 2001 makes many creative choices that just makes it unnecessarily like drawn out and pretentious. 
when it really does not have to be to communicate the message that it is trying to. And sometimes, yeah. like, especially in a story that is ambiguous and philosophic as it is, I really don't want to know what the fuck Taiwan is doing right now. I don't well, need right. that world building. Uh, and, like, if you feel like you do, I'm not saying that it's wrong or anything. I'm just saying that, for me, in a story like this, that is a strength, not necessarily a shortcoming. Well, okay, I actually so kind of found um, Solaris to be more pretentious than 2001. I don't know if that's a hot take, but... <coughs> Sorry. Explain. Um, I, <laughs> I kind of found, like... In 2001, like, I know, Oleg, you disagree on this, but I think the editing and, like, the choice of the shots, while kind of indulgent, it feels justified for, like, you know, the vision that Stanley Kubrick is going for. The same kind of approach is taken in Solaris, Solaris, where, like, there's just long takes of, like, the dude sitting in bed, and, like, he's just kind of sitting there, and I'm like, okay, you could have gotten this across in about a fifth of the runtime of, like, this scene. You don't need five minutes of him sitting in the bed. But it all... I don't know why. It's, like, you know, like, there's... Throughout the movie, there's just times where, like, the scenes go on for just much longer than necessary. And it's almost as if just to show, like, see how great I am at filmmaking rather than yeah. to actually support the story. R right. Uh, I don't think that runs contrary to what I was saying. I... Okay, I I'll let Alex speak. Sorry. Yeah. Well, uh, so... So I would agree here. Here and, uh... And it, it may sound a little bit hypocritical considering I was just in the, the last part defending uh, Kubrick's uh, the somewhat lengthy <laughs> uh, <laughs> sequences of not much happening. Um, but here I think it, it feels a lot less like there is a, a reason behind it. It feels a lot more like, well... I think it would be a really cool shot to just have this guy drive through a tunnel for five minutes. <laughs> a tunnel shot. While his kid plays in the backseat. And I'll just shoot the back of his head and then some cars moving through a tunnel. And just fucking slowly escalate the sound for no fucking reason. And it, it's not... It doesn't really... It doesn't serve any purpose <clears throat> in the film. It doesn't serve any purpose in really the tone either. It's just to say... Hey, look! I can do I can an do interesting this. kind of shot, and that. It, but it's not even an interesting fucking shot. It's not even. It's just people driving through fucking tunnels for five minutes. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> okay, um, honestly, that's yeah. that's a fair critique. Yeah, I really I love the say, tunnel scene. But oh, sorry. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I will say I. I, I, you're a film I think student, you I will disagree that the tunnel scene serves no pur no purpose in terms of tone. Useless. But in terms of could you cut it out and. Or made it shorter, or, or just got rid of it altogether. Yeah, fuck yeah, yeah totally. absolutely. <laughs> um, that said, I don't like. I will. I will not. Clarification: I I do not think that this is like Solaris is my favorite movie ever, and I do not think that this movie is not pretentious. Um, I think that both of these movies are overly ambitious. I think both of them are very very pretentious, but quite frankly, in my own personal opinion stanley kubrick is more so because with solaris it really is drawn out incredibly slow and like pointless really before he leaves for the space station whereas with with stanley kubrick like it's it's the whole film especially it gets even worse by the ending when 
Um, there are, once again, the orgy of geometrical shapes that is not really explained in the film because Stanley Kubrick wants it to be ambiguous. There is the star child that is not explained in the film because Stanley Kubrick wants it to be ambiguous. And my criticism is not that you, you, like, you can't not explain something in the film because it's, it's a high-concept sci-fi film that asks philosophical questions. I want stuff to be left to my interpretation. But if you're not trying to drive a specific point into my mind, then why the fuck are you doing it for 15 minutes? That That is that is my issue. Yeah, uh, well, I'll, I'll say to you, uh, Stalker certainly picks up uh, a lot more than, than Kubrick. Solaris, does. you mean? Did I say Stellaris? Yeah, okay. you, you said Stalker. Stalker. Which, in fairness, oh, does also Stalker. pick up more. <laughs> um... I haven't seen Stalker yet, so I can't speak to that. Uh, Coming soon to a... Yeah. <laughs> uh, come on, Berg, Bergman uh, Tarkovsky episode. Uh, but the, the Solaris uh, really has... It, one, once you get there, it's not like it's a, a super action-y film either. It, it's mostly just the guy walking around talking to different people in Russian. Uh, and it was certainly... pretty visually impressive. I mean, yeah, but walking it, it, around. It, it, it doesn't. It's not <laughs> yeah, like it Solaris it's is really pretentious before he gets there, which is like the first. I I don't remember what exactly it is, but it's not that much of the movie's runtime. And once he gets it's there, it's really hour. not overly long or pretentious. I think it's about it's really forty like minutes. Driving. I think I paused it, and it was like right around forty to forty-five minutes when he leaves for the space station. I could be wrong on that mm. though. Maybe uh, I I think there's yeah I do not know. Would it be would it be a hot take to say that I feel it'd be a stronger movie if you removed the first forty five minutes? No, N- it not would be if with you me. remove them if you change them. <laughs> it, it would be a far better movie, I think. No, you can't just remove them. You have to change them. But well, yeah, like, you have to. You you can't just cut them away. They are necessary for just the plot. Yeah, like I yeah. feel like honestly, like. There, it is a little problematic because, like, there are some things story-wise that, you know, are explained in the first 45 minutes. So, like, if you started over from, like, you know, the tunnel scene and, like, the tunnel scene, then he's on, like, you know, he's on the space station and then it's, like, I'm a psychologist, I'm here because, you know, like, of a mission and you three haven't been responding or whatever. I feel like you would lose some stuff because the first 45 minutes have that, but you wouldn't lose anything super, like, you know, substantial. Yeah, I, not I think... only would you lose storytelling from like the the video part where the guy says that he experienced some basically some weird shit and i agree that maybe you could play around that the thing you couldn't play around even if you change it is the fact that we need to establish his uh like we need to establish this this house we need to establish this swamp we need to establish the aspect of the place that is familiar to him that he is going to miss and that he is going to lack for the rest of this film. Yeah. If you, if you start straight that... on the space, like going off of what Alex said about um, yep. 2001's, like it, when the action picks up, it's more exciting because you've had a lot of slow up until that point. This is sort of like the same thing. If you started right on the spaceship, you would have no idea why he misses Earth. And that would, I, like, I the, say... the fact that he misses, like, where he came from and the life that he had there would make no sense because the entire film would just be a claustrophobic spaceship. Yeah, thank you. That is what that's, I was trying to say. That's actually a really good point. So I'll I'll 
I'll make a, a different suggestion to Einish. Rather than just starting on the spaceship, I would say it, it would be made a lot better if you, you start on kind of a, a, a ship going to the Solar Station. Uh, you get your video debriefing, like, you know, he's watching it in the, on a, like, you know, the how airplanes have the TVs on the back of chairs. He's watching it on one of those tiny little monitors as, like, his debriefing statement or debrief uh, before he gets there. Uh, and then when you're there, you have him constantly flashing back, like, in, in dreams and stuff, dreaming of uh, the the cabin in his mind. Like, you see in the in the section when he's down with the fever, uh, and he's, you know, dreaming of his cabin and his mother, and, like, they're going through his childhood memories uh, on, like, you know, they've got a recording thing. And, like, they're just showing his childhood growing up at this cabin, your, his mother, his father. I think that makes it far more effective. Uh, because if you if you keep that, that uh, cabin as a transient place, as, as a place that really only exists within his memories, uh, then I think it matches, like, that idea of uh, the... In, in Welsh, they call it the Hiraith, which is... Uh, I don't H -I speak that, unfortunately. H-I-R-A-E-T-H yeah. is the spelling of that, if you want to look it up. Um, but it means the home that you can never return to. It's a homesickness for... It's the idea of once you leave home, you can never go back. Um, and so that that's really this, I, I think, would strike it more heavily in, in Solaris. If you're if you don't get to see that the cabin before beforehand, maybe if it's even his parents aren't alive anymore, or whatever it is, if it's something that he can't return to, like he's dealing with Hari in the same way, which is his guilt, his grief, he wants desperately to return to that that sense of comfort that he had at one point, but it's gone, it's wiped away, and he can never go back to it, and that's why the end of Solaris where it's uh, you know his essentially it's the planet giving like simulating his perfect world which is him returning back to his family um, I think that would make that moment a lot more powerful if you didn't think well okay even the real uh, Carl Kelvin is just going to or Chris Carl Kelvin my mistake Chris Kelvin, real, yes. Yeah, Chris Kelvin is just going to hop in a spaceship now and go home. Well, no, you, you know that that's not the case because they clearly state that when he returns to Earth, his parents will already be gone. Mm -hmm. Oh, did, did they? I, I must have missed that. That is, that is a big point in the beginning, like Earth segments of the movie. They established that. Okay. And they like there's a scene where it's like he's burning like his possessions, only keeping like the most important stuff for his parents. And like his mother is crying because she knows she's not going to see her child ever again well i think it i think then if, if that's if that if they wipe out the the parents anyway then i i think it would be served much better by leaving it as something that we never get to see but we get to see him grieving over because you know on when he's on solaris we don't really see his, his him dealing with the grief of that until through the, the wife fever we sequence well through the through the wife we do we 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 see his grief in dealing with the wife and that strikes us very powerfully and it becomes 
uh, you know, that that kind of it was one of the most between. compelling part of the movies. The oh, movie, it, I well, thought. it is the yeah. movie. It is the movie. It's it's the idea of it, it, this is where sci-fi becomes the best form of sci-fi is when it transitions into the philosophical ponderings of, uh, you know, when it becomes that that idea of well, should I leave? Is does it really make a difference if she's made of neutrinos or if she's made of flesh and blood? if she is the woman I love, you know, emotionally with her memories, like, is it just because it's a simulacrum or a simulacrum, uh, does that suddenly make it not worthwhile? Uh, that, that's a very interesting and profound statement to, to investigate. And that's kind of the whole movie, but having the extra bit of, with the parents at the beginning, uh, kind of removes, I think the impact of the, their loss, uh, because we don't get to see him dealing with it and grieving over it until the very end when he goes, well, I, I'd like to go home now. And he's like, ah, crap, I can't. It, it, you know, it, it would make the whole movie more impactful if he had that thread continuing throughout. Actually, I like aspects of like the way you thought of restructuring it. I like the idea of like, you know, we don't actually see him with his parents until the end because that would actually, like you said, really... Amplified. Like cement the fact, like wow, he is you know, he You're can't alone. go back. Isolated, sort yeah. of thing. I think I like it's that. a solid idea. I like. I'm not gonna subscribe. To be honest, yeah, I'm not gonna subscribe myself to either idea here, because your idea really sounds fitting for what the movie is going for. But personally, I just like the scene where he's burning his possessions and like his parents are crying so much that like I'm kind of it's kind of tough for me to just let go of it in Isn't my. That at the end? Imagining of good, the movie, it is a good scene. Yeah, I really like that yeah. scene too. If you could make it one of the flashbacks, maybe. Yeah, I, I was gonna say I thought that was at at the end. It came the uh, the burning of the books and stuff. No, that's that's like that's right, in the beginning. Either right before or right after the tunnel scene, I think. Well, I mean, you could even actually. I think that that scene would serve really well when they're watching that montage of of Kelvin's life, right? Because. Like, it, it fits in there perfectly where it's him as a child, him growing up, uh, and, like, he's getting progressively older, and then uh, it ends on their mourning him, burning his possessions, and, and basically saying their goodbyes. Once again, not invalidating. Like, I like your take on this. I just really think that it's 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 a very nice setup for the way we're supposed to feel in the movie when like we see that grief and how hard it is for him to leave and then he leaves and then we experience all the claustrophobia and we already know why he has that claustrophobia and we can understand why he's so desperately like clinging to the memory of his wife as the last thing we we like he has from his pretty much life something sorry something just occurred to me um so if if the journey takes so long, which I'm willing to accept since it's, you know, space travel, especially interstellar travel is obviously, a, excuse me, takes a long time. Um, Not in movies, it, it doesn't. The books. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I, I, well, that's the reason they give for his parents, like being gone, right? That, that when he, by the time he gets back, the time... Uh, shift would have been so drastic that he his parents would have passed by the time he gets back 
doesn't um, have to be like that because it that, could be that it's that's essentially the explanation they give though. No, they never. I, I could be wrong, definitely, but I don't think they ever say that the reason is because the interstellar flight itself is so long. It could just be a no return, or at the very least, no return for a very long period of time type of flight, because you see, um, astron uh astronauts or cosmonauts, I guess, living on that station without, because like well, if they had the opportunity to leave what they thought were these horrible conditions, then they just they just would. Well, it it makes sense for them not to be able to leave since they don't have you know a, a interstellar capable. Uh, uh, you know, rocket to, to ride well, home. You could just say that he has enough fuel for one run. Well, well, except that they immediately at the beginning say, like, yeah, you should just hop in your rocket and go home. And he's like, no, I've got to stay to do my job, and then I'll go home. Do they say that actually? Yeah, yeah, and, that, and then at, that, that yeah, at, at the end, it's I don't implied that. that he is still going home because you know, hurry, his reason to be there is gone. So, like, you know he's able to return. It's just that, for some reason, by the time he gets back, his parents will be gone. So, presumably, that's either the time it takes or time dilation or whatever. Um, but the point of why I'm asking that is because if that's the case, then how did um, how did the the other guy, whatever his name was, Broxton, Broxton, Burston, Burton? Burton. Burton, that's the name. Uh, how did, so Burton sees, uh, the eight foot tall, uh, child, uh, who he later, you know, reveals to, uh, the Kelvin's dad is the orphan son of, uh, one of the other people that he was going there to check on. Um, so how is that possible for him to get back in time to see the kid as like a toddler um if he went to the same station and back presumably after the father had already gone there which would take a certain amount of time and yet the time dilation only comes into effect once we are talking about kelvin losing his parents that's a fair point so uh, these logical things could really be solved by saying uh, Kelvin's life on Earth is already pretty much gone, in that at this point he's just a grieving kind of broken man uh, who goes to Stellaris and Stellaris, or Sol Solaris, my mistake, who goes to Solaris and Solaris helps him to heal and get over his, his grief and deal with it. That would be, uh, I, I think, solve a lot of those logical No, that's a, that's a fair, like, it's fair to point out the logical fallacy here. I don't think it necessarily detracts from the movie that no, much, I, I but no, so. it but it's fair. It's fair, absolutely fair. I, I do think, though, that they put in the eight-foot-tall toddler only as a uh, reference. The hat, yeah. I think it's, yeah, I don't think it's necessarily, like, we did it better. I really think it's just, like, a reference. Yeah, yeah, because... Uh, Same as, like, that mirror in the middle of the corridor um, on the space station is a reference to the monolith. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I, was, I was going to say, too, um, well, one... I hate, I fucking hate his his fucking costume that he wears at the beginning. Oh, the costume. The, oh, where his fucking big pudgy gut is hanging out, and he's just wearing a fucking mesh vest. 
<laughs> At first, I thought it's it was like bad like, on holes. solo cosplay, well, but then, you know. Yeah, it, it's pretty. It's more like bad Captain Kirk cosplay because it's like the yellow <laughs> mesh vest. Um, oh, like, like did you like the really costumes? Chest. The costume, I, I didn't care for the costumes that much, to be honest. Oh, like, I know that as a film guy, you probably do. I probably but I I really, did. I liked them. <laughs> and then, and then, to, then to be Harry's... honest, yeah, I watch these movies more for, like, especially when it comes to movies like um, 2001 and Solaris. I really watch it for what they were trying to say and the ideas they tried to convey. It wasn't a bad costume. I just thought it was really goofy. Like, it didn't detract from, like, my enjoyment yeah. or anything. Well, but it was something where I'm like, oh, whoa, okay. What are you wearing? Yeah, it probably Did helps. Anyone look at this. Probably helps that this is a rewatch, so I've already gone through the the stages of trying to figure out what's going on, and now I'm like, oh, let's take a look at the costumes. That'll well, be fun. that also comes comes back to that point I made at the beginning, which is that 2001 is far more cemented in a, a sense of reality, in a, a sense of this is a world that exists. Um, whereas Solaris, Solaris is, is really more of a philosophical quandary than a story, I would say. Um, and it, it's not a world that can or does exist, which I, that, I think no, detracts. Do we want to like move this into the comparison part? Because we are. I, I think it's pretty much fading there anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we've kind so, of yeah, been doing that anyways, just kind of intermittently. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> Yeah, we've already been kind of doing it. But yeah, so uh, where 2001 has a very solid sense of reality and it, it says this is what's happening, uh, I, th- I think Solaris has has no real sense of the geography of the uh, station. It has no Which real is part s- of the point, actually. Well, I, I get that it's trying to, it, it's trying to keep you in that sense of disorientation. Uh, but it, there's none of it makes sense, which again it, it, it fits the point. But at, you know, as I'm a bit of a realist, uh, so I, I hate that kind of postmodern like it's, kind of, it's all kind of dreamlike, it, you know, the surrealist thing. Well, it um, is like I will say um, a lot of what goes on, like the like deprecation of his costume over time and the Mm -hmm. like the way that the set of the spaceship is kind of disorienting and Mm -hmm. the way that sounds kind of fluctuate in and out it's all to put you in his mental mindset so really like it's it is kind of annoying to like if you're looking for like more straightforward it is definitely frustrating but like it is intentional and it, I think at least it pulls off really well using like non dialogue things to really make you feel like you're in the character's well, uh, mental state. So, so there, there's a difference there. Is so like, for example, Kubrick uses the same kind of technique in The Shining, where uh, the hallways, uh, the uh, part of what makes the scene where you know Danny's riding his tricycle through the hallways so uh, interesting in powerful in a subconscious sense is that the hallways are inherently impossible they loop in on themselves multiple times uh, you know he achieved that through you know obviously cutting uh, but there there isn't that sense of quite like 
this is a total disarray. Like, as if, like, oh, I have three sets, so I'm going to film individually on these three sets. It, it still feels like it's one united place, but that there's, like, that there is some kind of strange dream logic going on in there. It, because the thing, about, the thing about The Shining is that the Shining has a lot of tension aspects to it where mm -hmm. you are specifically watching characters that you root for escape from a threat. And mm -hmm. for that to be effective in a film, you have to build familiar familiarity for the yeah. audience with the play, like with the place that the pretty much action set pieces are occurring. Whereas that is contrary to the point of Solaris, where he wants you to be completely confused, just well, like the character is to be lost in this space. The claustrophobia is so immense that you cannot even have any sort of a, of a like picture or a layout in your head of what this space station looks like. It's it's just different purpose pretty much. Yeah. I guess so. Um Yeah, I, I don't know. I I still think I, I, there's still room for the tension like as you were saying, there there's that tension in it, and I I think that tension is still present in uh, Solaris, in, in that you never really know when things are happening. Like you keep getting these, uh, these yeah, it uh, is, di dialectic. I believe is the sen right word for it. Is is, is that I'll, I'll refer to you, film people. Uh, <laughs> what what's what's the sound uh, or name for a sound that occurs within the world? The diegetic. Diagenic, yeah. that's right. Dialectic is a type of uh, material. It means. I think you mean diuretic. Yeah. Yeah, diuretic. Yeah. Diabetic. Uh, diatribic. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, di Fuck, I already forgot what the word <laughs> Diagetic. is. Diagetic. Diagetic. Um, that the, you get these diagetic sounds of like uh, the bells jingling. Uh, that's a, a very. Uh, like powerful thing of like it's this force kind of luring him around uh, it, it pushing him into this kind of dream logic and it just always kind of jingling in the background and even if it's not physically addressed or like it actually addressed it in that scene in the movie it's still this kind of worry that he's like always looking over his shoulder and like closing doors behind him like afraid um, and then oddly enough that kind of stops uh, once he embraces Hari, and then it shifts uh, kind of tone again. And by the way, real quick, I, I did just remember something that makes me say uh, the Annihilator is 100% uh, per guest. Uh, so for the listeners, if you aren't watching the movie, a guest is the uh, term that the movie uses for the people made out of neutrinos. Uh so because and i know that it's uh the annihilator is on a per guest basis because uh the annihilator because the the guy the scientist i forget his name strauss whatever the snout is it snout the uh it the, is yeah the scientist guy with bad hair snout yeah yeah exactly. on his own snout. guest um, uh, and says like look he hasn't returned in like three days uh, so we know it's on a per guest basis, which you know makes more sense. Okay, that does help. So. Okay. Yeah. Speaking so of, you wanna... sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just 
gonna ask whether or not we want to move in to which movie of the two we probably prefer and why or at the very least how they compare in our minds Ooh. uh i would like to real quick if possible talk about hari because right i found ahead. her to be incredibly interesting as a character mm-hmm. personally i'm not sure if anyone else felt that way yeah. I thought Hardy was the best character in the whole movie, yeah. honestly. I, I agree, yeah. I think she's fantastic. Um, Hari, oh, I, I was just going to say, Hari, um, Hari reminds me a lot of a, a, a sci-fi book called The Invisible Man uh, by Dan Simmons. Uh, or Hollow Sorry, Man. Elizabeth Moss. No, no, my mistake. Not not The Invisible Man, The Hollow Man by Dan Simmons. There's also a movie of, called Hollow Man that's about The Invisible Man. Apologies. Um, Hollow Man is a book by Dan Simmons, which is about the idea of consciousness in that, um, essentially conscious, uh, the brain is derived up of, uh, electromagnetic, uh, pulses, uh, you know, going in between the, uh, mul- or, or going in between the cells of the brain. Uh, and so the idea is that if you replicate that, uh, the, those uh, electromagnetic pulses and waves uh do you re- do you still have the person is that still their consciousness and so like this yeah, anyway that that's what this reminds me a lot of which is well, yeah it's, it's the ship problem where if if you have your original ship and then you replace the sail uh with a new sail and then you replace something else with a new something else, and then essentially when you replace every single part of that ship, is, is it still is it, the same ship? No, I, is it I, I still don't think the same I don't ship? think that's the same question at all. So that that's the uh, the ship of Theseus uh, philosophical quandary. Uh, what we're I think they here, play together very well, actually. It, yeah, I, mean, I they, don't think they they're the same, but they play off each other. I think maybe a little bit, but this they're is more... in a way polar opposites of each other. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. Th- this is more a question of what makes a man versus it, like, th- like that. That would be more uh, relevant if we were asking, you know, the question about your cells die off and regenerate, you know, multiple times a day. Well, not this. Think about Hari in the film. Essentially, she she is the ship the ship of Theseus because every part of her, every cell of her, is completely different and not even similar to what she was before but she still is the same person that chris loves what i find interesting about hari specifically is that she is not really the actual like hari she comes back as like what he wishes hari would have been or what in his memory Mm -hmm. has like positively shaped her to be leads to that awesome like really like riveting moment where she basically kills herself trying to get back in the door because she doesn't want to be alone with it. She doesn't want to be without him because in his memory or like in the very version he wants her to be, she can't possibly leave him alone because he can't live with the fact that she left. And like what I like about her so much is that her becoming more and more human brings her farther and farther away from him. And I like that aspect of like, the fact that he can't have the real human he doesn't actually want the real human version of hari but he also like in a way doesn't really want to stop that from happening so to me that's the that's the interesting dynamic there 
I'll, I'll say I, I think hurry is is more a representation of dealing with grief right so oh yeah um, absolutely well i mean of yeah. course it's a metaphor for letting go of the past i think andrew <laughs> yeah. was just saying that like sometimes it's you gotta interesting kill it that she's not the to, person you know well uh, but like the the idea i i think is more that the longer the longer she spends the more real she becomes and the harder it is to, to let her go um well which she's is essentially also, learning what it's like to be human it, it, yeah that too but it's also i think how, how should i put it I, I i'm kind of uh this is going to sound uh, a little bit uh you know uppity uh but or up my own ass at least uh, but the the game I'm I'm making with my game studio is, is kind of exploring the same kind of ideas um, with grief and stuff and how we process that. But uh, it, it, you know, Hari is a representation of uh, you know the longer you spend kind of rolling in your agony and pitying yourself and talking about like you know why me why me God uh, the harder it is to exit that. Right. And yeah, so I think that's that, yeah. that's what the like the thing is supposed to represent. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So mm -hmm. well, uh, so I don't think, I don't think it. I mean, maybe there is also an aspect of she's she's learning to be more independent. Oh yeah, I mean, no, progresses. I'm saying one of those is the the plot or story reason and like the character arc, and the other is just the metaphor behind it. Yeah, like I, I don't think so. they're counter, like. I don't think they go against each other. Yeah, at all. I think they're definitely compliments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but yeah, I, I don't think I don't think it's a, a ship of Theseus question. I think it's a, a question, uh, the ancient question of where is the soul housed, right? So I'm it, sure. it's, uh, well, no, I mean, it, I know what you yeah. mean. I know what you mean. Yeah, exactly. It's a yeah. The medieval question is: is it stored in the in the humors in the in the body, or is it? stored is it some ethereal thing is it that uh what, 23 pounds is it they say that you you lose when you die that, that you, i do not know uh, they're well they said they they measured a person when they're alive and then they measured them after they die including you know all the shit that pours all out of them as they uh, as they pass and they lose control of their bowels uh but um they say that overall you lose like i think like 43 pounds and so some people have, you know, theorized that's the weight of the soul. That seems really heavy. <laughs> that's, on, that, that's disconnected from everything, but jeez. My, my, mis okay. my, my yeah, mistake, I, I, it's I 21 like, grams. This is, this is dragging a little bit, so I will suggest we don't derail the conversation yeah. too much. Uh, correction, 21 grams, much more reasonable. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I don't know, 47 pounds. <laughs> that's my soul, right? Yeah, babies are born at like you know ten pounds. The camera adds ten pounds. The death removes forty-seven. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, I'll just go into my thoughts now. Um, closing thoughts. Probably. That's okay with everybody. Sorry. More like closing thoughts, basically. Yeah, probably. Well, sorta. Yeah. Yeah. We all, mm -hmm. all of us can like say which movie they prefer, like why. Yeah. Know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, personally, I I think that two thousand one, as it was already proven, is a movie that would find it much easier to go down in history as it did than than Solaris, 
because where Solaris is pretty much just a story that is told using conventional narrative methods, 2001 is not that much of a story at all. It is more of a cinematic ex uh, experiment that was uh, made based on a story, but really steps away from it for the most part. That said, however, I appreciate the set design and I appreciate the cinematography. I appreciate the special effects. However, usually that is not the reason I personally watch the film. And for that reason, I feel like Solaris had a better, I had a better time with Solaris and Solaris was a better experience for me. Because at the end of the day, even though some of the creative choices in 2001 are more bold, even though the world is perhaps fleshed out more in 2001 and Solaris has like some even logical fallacies as we established, it is much better for me to overlook them when what I am watching is on the level of writing just a better film. Um, I'll say, I think as far as uh, a science fiction film goes, 2001 is superior by leaps and bounds. Uh, as far as, you know, a discussion of philosophy. I said only on the level of writing, not like, yeah. like, yeah, exactly. 2001 uh, is, is like, is made amazing, like is made in an amazing way. Uh, sorry. I, I'm just trying yeah. to clarify if that wasn't, if I, I could very well miscommunicate my position, but I think 2001 has a lot going for it if you are the type of person who appreciates like better set design better production better special effects because at times uh solaris like actually kind of looks cheap but at the end of the day i'm saying that as a person who really values writing story and what the film is trying to convey to me above all else i will always choose solaris um so yeah i i'm making a very different point i'm i'm more saying like the goal of of science fiction as a genre is to uh, predict the future and to build uh, uh, models of you know what we some aspect of the future right usually not the entire future of course since that's impossible I think that's a very narrow look to be well honest. that yeah. that is generally the there's another name for uh, for science fiction speculative fiction is essentially what the uh, name of the genre is. Well, um, the goal is to tell a story and maybe convey a message. You well, could very okay. well try to foresee how the future looks, but sometimes the point is to envision a certain discovery, for example, and then think about well, how there, could that affect us there, in there, trying to build a story around it. Because a, Solaris isn't as much about like if that planet existed or if uh, like radiation from like weird space oceans would work like that. It's really using fake science uh like yeah. ad fake scientific advancements to craft a story that we could relate to well yeah but the uh the more to the point you know it's it's not like stanley kubrick has you know done a bunch of physics research and says well if you see you know uh, this kind of rocket and this kind of rocket field. no uh, but uh, in fairness, he actually did. Uh, Stanley Kubrick did create the special effects in conjunction with NASA engineers and researchers. Oh, okay, stand corrected. <laughs> um, but more, more to the point, I was making is if you look at any, uh, if you look at any of the greats of science fiction, you know the ones that are commonly recognized. So that's 
Isaac C. Clarke, that's Isaac Asimov, uh, you know, a lot of Isaacs, uh, it, you see the same kind of trend, which is talking, it, it, it's using science fiction as, like, where are we headed? That, that That's the idea of it. That's not even a question that Solaris attempts to answer. It, exactly, and that's why I say, as, as a science fiction film, I would say... You know, speaking from this genre of science fiction, 2001 is far superior. Speaking from a, a general stance, I would say the writing is far superior in, in uh, Stellaris, or Solaris. Uh, but that Solaris is, is more of a philosophical uh, question than a, a science fiction question. I mean, quite right. frankly, you don't have to call it science fiction if you feel like that's misinterpreting the well, definition. It, yeah, it, it's much like a, a Camus play. It, it's more like a Camus play than like an Isaac Asimov book to me. It, it's the same way that, that Star Trek is not science fiction. It's a space uh, opera, but that's it's not Star science. Wars. Star Trek Star is actually Wars. considered Did I say Star, Star Trek? Trek. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I'm mush mouth today, but <laughs> Star Wars is not science fiction. It's just not. The same way that Solaris is not really science fiction, it's a philosophical book, or a philosophical movie. It's also a book. Yeah, I'll accept that. Alright, well, um, for me, I guess, I think Solaris, it takes a more, like, personal, emotional look at, you know, humanity and that sort of thing. I think both 2001 and Solaris are trying to, like, at least bring up a discussion about humanity. I don't think either, like, get it down perfectly because it is, like, a big topic. I'm not going to pretend that I understand both of them completely either because I don't. But I think overall, uh, 2001 for what it goes for, I think it accomplishes it better. I think production-wise, it's leaps and bounds better. I think also just direction-wise, cinematography, like, just all aspects in that sense. It's a much more visually and, like, just, like, you know, film-going-wise, it's a much more engaging experience. It is, it's one of those movies which I, like, said at the beginning, I felt hypnotized from the beginning to the end. Like, basically the whole way through, I was just invested. And I think for that reason, like, 2001, it is a better movie, like, construction-wise and, like, you know, production-wise and all those aspects. But I also do think, like, just overall it is one of the best films ever made, but I don't think it's the best film ever made because of the ways it kind of lacks in, you know, character and some parts of dialogue that sort of thing can i ask you a question yeah like if we if we um don't if we're not talking about the quality of set design or the um oh my god yeah i'm, I'm a little tired <laughs> if we're not talking <laughs> just about the the technical aspects of filmmaking which are like obviously superior in um 2001 would you say that 2001 has anything exceptional going for it with uh, its story and the message it's trying to convey? And the reason I'm asking that is because I know a lot of people who I think are pretentious snobs personally, <laughs> who, um, who legitimately think that this is like the, the magnum opus of, of storytelling where it's like trying to convey the truths of the universe. And I just, I think it's just like when you strip away all the technical aspects there is no story it's just asking questions and saying you can answer them um i think that the story like at its base like how it goes from like at first the apes to then like our advanced humanity to then like uh going through the whole stargate sequence trying to like you know rationalize fourth dimensional beings or whatever i think the story is pretty good i think it's i would go as far as to say great 
I do think that like most of it is, you know, basically just like held up by the production and that sort of thing. So like while the story is good, I don't think it would work without all of the production stuff. I don't think it's like one of the best stories of all time, but I do think it's a very strong story that very much needs the production to be at the level that it is for it to be, you know, very well regarded, if that makes any sense. It does. Thanks. So yeah, I guess for those reasons, those are my thoughts. I think Solaris is also, I guess I didn't really touch on Solaris. I think Solaris is a very good science fiction movie that is kind of limited, I guess, by its narrow view. Whereas 2001 is a much more broad view that I think is just much more interesting. Okay, it's me now. Yay. Hi. Um, I definitely... I definitely love both these movies. I really do. I think they're both phenomenal. Um, to go off what Oleg said, um, if you had to read the screenplay for 2001 or the screenplay for Solaris, that's not even a question. Solaris would be far more interesting to read. Uh, 2001's <laughs> screenplay is probably like 45 or 50 pages long, even though it's a two and a half hour movie. Um, but you don't, I will say. On the other hand, you don't watch movies to read a screenplay. Uh, if you want to, if you really wanted just a story, you'd read a book. And I know that's not your point, specifically. Um, it wasn't. <laughs> I know that. I know that's not your point. Um, if you strip away the production aspects of two thousand one, um, I think, like I just said, it's a really good sci-fi story. I think if you really boil it down, it's a lot more straightforward of a sci-fi story than it seems like it is. Um, which I don't necessarily think is a bad thing. I think that just shows that its trappings are intricate enough to make you think about it more uh, more complexly. Um, or more complex. I don't think complexly is a word. My bad. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I think 2001 is fantastic. It does ask a lot of questions, and it doesn't provide answers. And I'm not going to pretend that 2001 is like the greatest philosophical work to ever grace the silver screen because it isn't um i do think it asks its questions in an interesting way i think it uses cinema and the abilities of audiovisual storytelling to ask those questions in a way that you couldn't in any other medium whereas in solaris which is a novel adaptation not exactly the most faithful one at that but still an adaptation of a novel doesn't really utilize cinema as a medium in quite as strong of a way. I will think I do say that it does so more than most science fiction films and frankly, more than most films in general, but 2001 and Solaris are incredibly high bars. I hate to say one's better than the other. Um, I do think that 2001 is that better of the two films, but I do think that both of these should stand among the great science fiction works and arguably even among the great works of cinema as a whole, just for what they are able to accomplish, even in their different goals, how good they are at achieving the goals they set out to achieve. 